0: to our Game of Thrones Flashcast, which does not have a clever name like so many of the TV Flashcasts do, uh, because we were first and we nobody told us that we needed to have a clever name. <laughs> uh, we're less flashcasty
1: than we used to be now that we're doing episodes that took place years and years ago.
0: Yes, this is the Game of Thrones Rewind now, although I did watch this episode earlier today, so perhaps it feels a little bit more like that. I'm Jason Snell, that's Monty Ashley. We started doing these things in Season 4 of game of thrones and now uh we're just for fun uh watching season one again with all the spoilers and all the knowledge of the first seven seasons of game of thrones so don't listen if you're just watching embarking upon this now because that would be dumb because all the spoilers and some of stuff won't make any sense to you this episode is the wolf and the lion season one episode five written by benioff and weiss the show's creators so you might think that some important things happen in it yeah they do sure i agree this uh in a way this i think this
1: is the episode that starts off the whole series like we've established who everyone is and now it's time to get everybody fighting forever
0: yeah this this is the moment where and there is a scene that calls this out this is the moment where everything is about to slide into madness um, prompted by something that happens in the last episode, which is essentially prompted by something that happens in the first episode. But uh, this is the moment where it seems kind of irrevocably broken uh, and everybody's just going to gonna fight. And in fact, one of the themes in this episode that we can also talk about is um, b- being king or, or in general uh, rising in power due to war and then being forced to rule over a piece being a really uneasy thing and uh, a lot of characters i think have decided the time for peace is over (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah we certainly get
1: a good look at what robert is like sort of in his day-to-day king activities and while he might be good at leading a rebellion and fighting in a war he's been peter principled into uselessness at this point. Yes, absolutely.
0: Absolutely true. And I, I kind of I kind of love this because you get the um I think probably uh uh in, inspired by some historical kings, but we have this kind of trope of the you know kind of clueless fat king, right? And what's interesting about Robert is you know, Robert earned his way here it's just he won and now we're seeing him 17 years later because he won and now he is yeah he's got nothing to do but have jousts and fights and and hunts and uh and have sex with everybody basically apparently and hate his wife and you know it's just like he there's nothing for him to do now although he talks a big game about ruling over seven kingdoms he you know, it seems pretty, like, pretty easy for him.
1: That's kind of the genesis of something I think about a lot while watching this show, which is I don't care that much who is the rightful heir to the throne. I mean, I grew up here in America, so I'm not that into the divine right of kings to begin with. Yeah. So I ask myself, who would be a good ruler of Westeros? And I kind of think... Until much later, Daenerys has learned that enough to be a good ruler. But at this point, I say Cersei Lannister is the only actual qualified person.
0: Well, we see we see some of her behavior later on that suggests she can get in a little over her head. <laughs> I, I think there I think there is an argument to be made that the Lannisters, in some form or other would probably be able to run the show but you know they're awful people but you you get that sense that they and that they are essentially running the show behind the scenes because they've got the money and in this episode it's very clear like House Baratheon does not have the money it's all being funded by the Lannisters and so between you know funny between Cersei Tyrion and Jamie, if they could get their act together with Tywin uh, being the brains behind the whole thing, like they've actually got a pretty powerful force, but of course they're also super dysfunctional. And so maybe not so much, but you know, you're right. You could make a lot of arguments about people who would be better suited in, in ruling the the seven kingdoms than Robert Baratheon, but that's not how it works, right? He, he won the war and got to be the King, even though he was not you know he didn't win a king being contest he won a war yeah. and and he is on the ball enough to look around and say
1: everybody's got an army this isn't going to hold together
0: yeah it's true it's true that that is that is a really nice moment where he talks about the um uh, one army wins. Okay, I was going to save this for later, but we might as well get into it now. That's, you know, what's, what's better, one or five? And what he shows her is his open hand and a fist. And he's, you know, one is better, one army. And they're talking about the Dothraki, but he's also talking about how Westeros is is uh you know ready for something like this it's like a like a fire could start at any moment because yeah. you've got all of these different things it's been they had their little lull where everybody was tired of fighting because of the the big war that finished with the the throw, overthrowing of the of the Targaryens and Robert Baratheon becoming king but we're kind of coming out of that now and everybody's jockeying for new position and everything is kind of falling apart and now you're going to get the echo of Robert's rebellion which is it, he's not going to be able to hold it. Together, or in this case, he's not going to make it (laughs) again. Yeah, shouldn't be listening. Uh, he's not going to make it more than another episode, I think. And uh, that's when everything's going to come apart.
1: I think that he knows he's looked at everything, and he, like, there's only a little hint of this, but he seems like he's thought about this to the level of, like, yeah, the Car Starks, I don't know if they're actually going to. Defend the Starks the way they said they were going to, and all these people say they owe
0: me loyalty, and I don't think that's going to hold. Like, right? And I don't have the money, and the Lannisters have the money, so personal loyalty to me doesn't work, and yet it also limits my authority because I've been saddled. As he says, you you think when you're king it means to get you you get to do what you want because he's the ultimate ruler of Westeros, and guess what? He can't. Instead, he's saddled with this wife he doesn't like at all um because her family has money and now he's beholden to their money and we know that they're way in debt and so and he owes that money to his wife's family and like yeah he's trapped he's the king and the supreme ruler and all of that but he's also trapped in this situation he knows that it's just not uh you know i think he knows it's not tenable there is that moment where uh it's a great moment where uh he says don't you get tired of holding it all together
1: yeah <laughs> to seriously. And- and he doesn't even have the power to get rid of Lancel.
0: Yeah, that's true. He just all he can do is uh, threaten Lancel, and that is a funny moment where, where <laughs> he's like, "What? You're not? You're, are you laughing at me being fat? No, you're not. What? You don't think the hand of the king's joke is funny? What? Uh, get out of here. Yeah. Go look for Hang something in. that doesn't exist.
1: You. Hang in there, Lancel. You get character arcs later on. <laughs> yeah,
0: it'll it'll all it all work out. Mm, sort of not uh, later for you. But uh, yeah, so uh, Robert, one of the things I've really enjoyed, like I knew I would enjoy seeing Ned Stark because it's been, you know, he was only in the first nine episodes and that was a huge thing about setting the show off. So it's been fun to see Sean Bean, but I've also really enjoyed Robert Baratheon because although Ned is our viewpoint character here in the first season or our main one, Robert is the, you know, Robert. Robert and his rebellion, Robert and his fury at Lyanna Stark being taken away, which as we know from later in the show, taken away because she was in love with a Targaryen and wanted to be with a Targaryen. Um, But that led to this whole revolt and overthrowing of the Targaryens. Like all of that stuff. And uh, he, he, he... All of his needs and his rebellion are the reason that the whole show happens, essentially. And so it's fun to see him because we get a lot of pretenders to the throne and temporary kings and would-be kings and partial kings. But when we start, we get to spend a little bit of time with the king. And even though he got there through questionable means, he is the king. This is sort of like the end state of all of these wars should be a monarch, a ruler, um, and we don't have that during the run of the show. So this is that. So not just Ned, but Robert Baratheon, I think yeah. it's interesting to have him there. He,
1: he has a right to expect this to be his happily ever after and it's not. This is awful.
0: Well, this is. That's the thing I really love about so much. Um, you know, modern storytelling that accepts like the the great line in Watchmen, which is nothing ever ends. Right? Like people expect an ending, and there's no ending. Like that's not how history works. There, there's no set end. And then it, and then Robert overthrew the Targaryens and took over and was king. Yay. Okay and then you have to like be the king. You can't just stop. You have to keep going with your life until <laughs> again soon <Yep. laughs> you won't have to do that anymore. Um he slew the tyrant and then married a woman for political ends and uh, well, yeah. Mm, and then it got complicated. Um okay, we're going to get back to King's Landing, but I want to I right. want to start with some other places in uh in Westeros that we need to go. Um no across the narrow sea this time, by the way. So uh, we'll hold, just hold on. There's good, good Daenerys stuff coming next week. <laughs> Real good. <laughs> Real good Viserys stuff coming next week, especially. Yes, But not this time. Um, on the road That's- to the Vale and then at the Vale, um, we get Tyrion, of course, taken at the at the inn by uh by cat last time um and here uh, they're going with horses and stuff and and Tyrion gets uncovered from his uh he's hit, like had his head in a bag or something and realizes that that they're not going back uh north they're going uh, not going to winterfell they're they're instead going to the vale um he he uh they're attacked by hill tribe people uh, we, G-
1: generic barbarians yep
0: that's that's right they're just they are barbarians and they are going to attack you because you are not them um and we get to see Braun in action Braun, now we get to see oh uh, yes he is yep. even though he said very little he is a very capable swordsman yeah and, their war party is it is completely killed except for
1: cat Tyrion, Braun, and sideburns guy yeah Exactly right. Whose name I refuse to
0: learn. And Tyrion has a good, it's fine, a Tyrion has a good uh, moment in this where he gets Cat to cut his bonds so that he can uh, help in some way because it's, he's no good to her dead. Um, and what he does is he gets a shield and starts to eye one of the horses, like, can I get out of here? And then realizes that Cat is going to get killed by one of the, the hill people. And so instead he, you know, basically slams into the the guy from the hill tribe, knocks him over, and proceeds to bludgeon him to death and beyond with the point of the shield well past death i love that yeah he's got maybe some issues maybe some anger issues there but anyway he does stop when braun walks over to him um and uh yeah that's the beginning of the braun tyrian relationship that will go on and on and on um which which is great so then anyway they get to the veil and there's a very nice matte painting by the way that
1: uh, i want to say while right after that is one of the times that uh, Tyrion says in a loud voice, the Tyrians always pay their debts. Like the Lannisters and, always pay their yeah, debts. The, yeah, I'm sorry. The L- Lannisters uh, always I, pay their debts and looking over at Bronn like, huh? Huh? Yeah. And I always wonder how many debts they must have run up for that to be their motto.
0: Yeah. I What I find weird is that it's used to say the Lannisters have money, but it, it, that's not what it's saying. It's saying if we borrow money from you, we'll pay you back. That's not the, the same as we have lots of money to spend.
1: Yeah, this is. In fact, it's the reverse, right?
0: You, <laughs> I will gladly pay you <laughs> Tuesday, Tuesday for a hamburger today. Mm-hmm. Does not say I am flush with cash. It right. says I have no cash, but if you float me, I will pay you back that's and, it's weird and it's, it's, basic not, their, level, it's, it's just, not their motto though monday it's not their no, motto it's, it's not their words it's just a they, it's common called, phrase but not their words they're called words not motto yeah well it's their I, words i don't i don't live in westeros i call them their motto right, all,
1: right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all
1: i know is it's pretty crass to go around bragging about your credit limit all the time yeah
0: that's yeah it's fair okay so matt painting of yeah. the of the which is like not not their strong it's actually very old school in a way it felt like very much like there is a matte paint we we have it we have a motion control basically tracking shot That's probably a single still shot that they that they put in a little pan so you can go from the live action plate yeah. to the painting of the veil uh, it's a, a very eerie. specific castle with a lot of very specific features that they could not replicate in yeah, the real world exactly right so so this one is it's it's neat though they've got like all those the bridge that's like on those tall pillars that has to get you all the way over to where it is and all of that and so it's, it's a fun matte painting anyway um so the reason they're going to the veil this is where john aaron is from who got assassinated and cat's sister is there and there is a scene where somebody <laughs> says is it is it uh is it Tyrion?" Who sa- uh, last week who said uh, how long has it been since you s- you no no it's um that, it's a little is that yeah. is that in this one? It's like how long has it been since you've seen your sister? And it's just like whew, she's not all there. And uh,
1: uh, Tyrion says to her.
0: Tyrion says that during this episode. Okay, because yeah. uh, my next note is, is basically Lisa Aaron is nutballs. She is <laughs> when we meet her. She is oh. saying crazy stuff high up on a throne while her. Ten-year-old son is suckling at her at her breast, which, and when he pulls away, he's got drool on his chin. and yeah, it's our drool, so creepy, mil, milky drool. Right? Oh man! Yeah, and I'm all for letting the kid <laughs> uh, ner- extended breastfeeding. Like, like I'm all for that. But this is a bit too far, if oh. you ask me. I'm going to be judgmental. I think that it's super creepy, and that she is very clearly uh, crazy. And there is a great moment. So she's raging because she hates the Lannisters and she's convinced the Lannisters killed John Aaron. And she's and why is Tyrion here? and And, she, you know, she's kind of raging. And uh, there's a shot of cat. and And we don't actually see where she's looking, but it's very clear from the geography that she's giving this look to the side to Tyrion or at Tyrion. And it's a great little shot because it's basically cat going, oh shit she's crazy yeah <laughs> like, 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 Ooh, no. she's
1: established as so off-puttingly insane oh, yeah. so quickly oh
0: yeah and that her sister doesn't have a there's no like oh my sister she's just misunderstood she's like oh no oh no that Ty- Tyrion was right she is bananas yeah. like she is why this was a mistake and of course this is when robin says i want to see the bad man fly mama <laughs> so maybe maybe we'll do that later but for now lock him in a scale a cell that is open to a cliff that drops oh. for an infinite amount of time that'll be Which fun I- which and that cell—it's f- straight from the book, and it looks so great. It does the sky cells. That's exactly how I imagined them. I, it actually—I think there's a little more depth to them than I imagined. I imagined you like if you if you rolled around in your sleep, you might just fall right out. But
1: well, I mean, you could. It's helpful. This is one of the cases where Tyrion
0: having shorter strides yes. oh, may true. come in handy. That's true. Just wedge yourself in the corner. Stay away from the the edge there. Anyway. Um, that's all we have from the veil, but, uh, there will be more and who boy, oh boy. That was, that was a lot of fun. Cause it's like, oh no. Oh yeah. The crazy, the crazy lady and her son and the sky cells and oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Okay. Um, we have a little, a very tiny amount in Witterfell. Um, as mentioned, as we just referenced, uh, the, the Meister is, uh, quizzing Bran on all the words and stuff um like and and he knows most of them and then he kind of acts out and just says that Lannister pays his debts and then he starts listing all the other ones he knows he's like you're not even trying here and they have kind of a back and forth where Bran is expressing a lot of frustration because his mom left he's correct about that yeah I mean she stayed with you while you were asleep but then you woke up and she left because she because reasons and well will she be back soon yes I'm sure do you know where she is no then how do you know she'll be back soon I mean it's it's quite sharp this Bran stark
1: yeah (laughs) and it seems irresponsible for both of our parents to leave and winterfell's just in charge of rob just rob yeah i mean
0: you know he's fine and all but yeah uh, there is a um what's the other nice thing that they have here is oh the arrows where he's like i'm never going to shoot arrows and the Meisters like hey we we make that saddle the Tyrion gave you the plans remember that like the the dothraki learn when they're little kids to shoot arrows from horseback so you could totally be a, a like a horse dude yeah, and uh, that see, cheers bran up
1: i don't see the problem yeah. archery is mostly an upper body thing yeah and meanwhile theon is showing how good he is at archery and kind of snarking at them
0: yes yes indeed and in probably an intentional immediate smash cut um theon goes from piercing the target with his <laughs> arrows to i gotta say it to piercing uh Roz, the, the whore, yeah. uh, from behind in a not so much sex position. I guess what we're learning is that I we'll, think it's a character of Theon, especially, that comes out in this scene. Well,
1: it, I think it is sex position because we eventually had to be told, here's Theon's deal. He's oh, you're right.
0: You're right. You're right. That he the, was a hostage and not a not yeah. a ward and it's all because his his parents, uh, you know, his family rebelled and he got yeah. sent away. So you're right. It is sex position. It is classic but it also- sex position. Position. It also
1: conveys who Theon is as a character, I think. Like Yeah. And also it's not just naked lady sex position. There's also naked man in this scene. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I actually um Roz as who we've established as the greatest horror in all of Westeros. Um, and here Theon gives it to her a little bit well I mean he gives it to her but also okay. he, needles, uh, he needles her about uh, also he talks to her I don't even know what I'm saying now about how the fact that she thinks she's all fancy now because she had sex with Tyrion and that like oh your little lord uh, tell me all about it um, but he's actually and she and she calls on like you're a little jealous aren't you and, uh, and he's like oh you're just a whore but she can give she gives it right back to him with every little uh, bit of needling to the point where he's Sort of like uh, aggressively threatening her, but I, I felt like I really enjoyed how she very clearly is less self delusional and more aware of their roles in this storyline than Theon is, and that's very much a good bit of characterization for Theon. <laughs> yeah, like Theon thinks he is
1: a practically a Stark, yep. but also the mighty heir of the feared gray joys, and he's eventually gonna find out some of those things
0: are wrong, yeah, some or all of those things are wrong um so yes th- th- it's a good I-, I guess what I'm saying is I felt like this sex scene, although classically sex positional is more about exposing the character yeah. than about like the world building it's it this is a very it's a very good scene for you to learn all the you know or many of the things about who theon is and yeah. why he is a kind of weak um paranoid unpleasant person so that's uh-huh. a good i like that scene and i like i like Roz, uh you know giving as good as she gets and of course you know we'll see her we'll see her more because she is the greatest whore in westeros yeah so. she's gonna move up
1: to the major leagues pretty soon
0: yeah oh yeah well they she's got
1: the- Winterfell is like probably double a but she's she's like hitting it out of the park.
0: yeah Yeah, well obviously the were uh, Theon uh, not Theon. Uh Tyrion probably like did a great Yelp review or something and so she's going to head on down to King's Landing. Um all right. Everything else in this episode happens in King's Landing. So it's a mostly King's Landing episode. Um, we've talked about some of this because it involves Robert, including that scene where he said, I thought being King meant I could do what I wanted, but, um, I would, I, I can't neglect here on ESPN. Eight, the Ocho. It's time for jousting. Yes. (laughs) We get, we get some jousting, some more jousting after the horrible jousting accidents that happened last time. There's more jousting. In this case, it is, uh, the, the Lord of flowers, the Knight of the Flowers, Sir of the flowers. Loras, Loras Tyrell,
1: who is presented as a fancy lad with very shiny armor, but is a better jouster than the Mountain, so he is a yes. top contender. But immediately after that, we learn that as a hand-to-hand fighter, he is a notch below the Hound and the Mountain, who are depicted as being an even match.
0: Yes, the Clegane boys get into it, where a an enraged Mountain who has gotten knocked off by uh, by Loras uh, go after chopping his horse's head off um runs and tries to kill Loras and basically the hound jumps down to protect him and they fight essentially to a draw and Robert finally calls it off and so it's like just just another example of the gain boys although it's a really i think it's a really cool scene where Loras raises up the hound's hand to get everybody to applaud him after saying like thank you sir i am no sir but he still like raises his hand and i think you know i think this is good toward the fact that the hound the hound is a very complicated character but i think the point here is that the hound is a complicated character whereas the mountain is not
1: (laughs) (laughs) and of course this is mountain one
0: yes Um, live mountain (laughs)
1: yeah well we have had three different guys playing the mountain mountain so far but it doesn't matter. Whoever is the giant, barely speaking monster,
0: yeah. that's probably the mountain. That's the mountain, for sure. Uh, but oh, those those fighting again, cl- boys, we'll see yeah. that again. We'll see that again. Um, Will they ever get along? No. 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 All right. Uh, <laughs> well, since we heard last time about how he like held his brother until his face melted in the fire, uh, probably not. Yeah. Probably. I do like as
1: soon as the king says, stop it, both of them stop immediately. In, in, the hound goes into like the respectful kneeling position and the mountain stalks off.
0: Yeah, but they do both stop. The, the hound stops slightly before and the mountain is swinging his sword. And you get the sense that the mountain realizes in that moment that he can't bring his sword down on his brother because his brother is already kneeling to the king. And that would be a real, a real foul. It happens very fast, but he basically swings the sword past him and pulls up, and then stalks off. And the king's like, "Let him go, let him go. He's a mon- he's our mo- he may be a monster, but he's our monster." Um, the uh, we get we get a couple of scenes with Arya. She is chasing a cat.
1: Yeah, that cat is great for plot purposes, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Well, the cat leads her. To the dungeon where the dragon skulls are, which is nice because we've heard reference yeah. to them before and that we were going to see them again. But so the dragon skulls down there. Um, she though while she's there, she overhears a conversation that happens, which we'll get to in a minute. I'm just gonna I'm gonna right. bookmark that for a moment. She ends up going. Uh, she gets locked in, and she ends up rather than revealing herself, uh, f- basically. continues out and finds like one of the secret passages essentially that the presumably like the onion knight used (laughs) because she ends up down on the beach and then walks around to the gates and she's filthy at this point and she has to be let in and they're like, you know, they don't believe that she's a, 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 Child of anybody who is worth anything, and they, they're going to send her on her way. And she immediately pulls the "Don't you know who I am? I'll have I, you know, my father's the head of the king or hand of the king. And if if you don't do this, I'm going to have your heads put on pikes and all that." And they look at each other, and I'm not sure I, what's going through the guard's mind in that moment. It, it's either well, she sure sounds like <laughs> that's that's the, my take, the is child my, uh, of of an entitled lord, right? Yeah. Or it could just be look. I don't want to deal with this. Just w- sounds good. Get get out. Get out of my yeah. way. Maybe a little bit of both, but she certainly does the I'm an entitled child of a lord right there.
1: I I I picture the dialogue as soon as we cut away is one of the guards saying, "Well, she sure talks like a lord. We'd better check just to be sure."
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. "Oh, you are one of the Stark children." All right. I can't I lose track of you. There are so many of you. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so she gets light back in and that's, that's Arya's little, she's got three, yep. she's got three scenes. Um, okay. The intrigue in palace intrigue happens. Yeah. So Varys talks to Ned. He asks about Bran. He talks about John Aaron. Um, the suggestion there, Varys is suggesting again that, um, John Aaron was asking questions and, and confirms that he was poisoned. And his suggestion, which is the, the guy who got who who he wanted Ned wanted to talk to, Sir Hugh, who was killed by the mountain in the previous episode, was the last person to see John Aaron alive and poisoned him. And that's why he has because Ned was wondering like he's got the new armor and he where'd he get the money and so Ned is sort of like playing detective here he's like you know Kings Landing, Colombo where he's trying to figure out like follow the money see where it goes what's what's going on you know who paid him who got him the armor how do we how do we work this out and Varys is basically kind of stoking that and saying yes yeah. yes that is there is a conspiracy here to kill John Aaron and follow you know follow. follow these leads
1: the murder method he says is something called the tears of lease which is one of your standard fantasy odorless tasteless
0: Untraceable, clear,
1: untraceable, hundred percent deadly poisons. Yeah. Which, boy, how much of that do we have around?
0: I think there's not a lot of it. I think
1: otherwise I everybody so. would be dead. That would be bad. I, I know poisoning is a woman's
0: technique. Maybe but that's we do. We do know it that sounds sounds a lot maybe, easier. Maybe if you look for the tears of lease, you could find it but yeah. um but if you're not looking for it you'll just think that it was natural causes or something anyway i hope nobody else dies under mysterious circumstances in this show <laughs> <laughs> yeah what what are the chances so um so various
1: circumstances are pretty clear when people die on this show yeah who did it mm. uh, that guy with the giant sword over
0: there usually usually so the, but this is this is the conspiracy kind of stuff that's happening right here so arya as we mentioned before over here's Varys. Varys is talking To Illyrio Mopatis, who we saw as being the patron of the Targaryens slash slaver, I suppose, because he helps get uh, Daenerys sold off to the the Dothraki. But... This is this was f- one of the go ahead. This is our first uh, across the Narrow Sea crossover, where we've seen a character with the with the Daenerys storyline, and boom, here he is in Westeros. There They're, he is. We've got this. They, they, they have some lemonade. Never mind. <laughs> uh, references are acknowledged. Uh, so we get the cross across the Narrow Sea, and this is this is a great. I loved this moment because it, it is that moment of like. Um, Oh, it's all connected. Right. Like and and there's more scenes very explicitly about the other storyline that happened later in this episode. But this moment is like, oh my God, there's a conspiracy between somebody in King's Landing and what we've seen happening with Daenerys that's going on. It also means that we know at this point that Varys see you know, Varys and Illyrio are plotting together, and the plot involves basically the restoration of the Targaryens. But what they say here is it's all going way too fast the war is going to happen now and their plan seems to be for it to hold together a little longer but then the war to happen and basically have uh you know Drogo and Daenerys sweep in and you know basically take over Westeros but it's all happening a little too soon that uh that uh, varus's plan expected more peace than they than they know they're going to get now because very obviously they know about Cat taking Tyrion And this was one of the first, like, really big differences
1: in between reading the book and watching the show, because in the book, I believe these characters are just described as Arya saw them because it's her point of view chapter. And it's just a fat guy and somebody she didn't see very well. But you have to actually cast characters on a show. So the the audience is like, that's Varys that's well the audience is like that's ferris that's who is that i don't recognize it's that guy from that i looked it up online and somebody said it was illyrio Illyrio, from those other scenes
0: it's that guy from the first episode um i i looked it up because i wrote in my notes it's that guy from the first episode it's like (laughs) illyrio Mopatis. that's who he is um Yeah. So anyway, so she overhears that and they talk about like the wolves and the lions are going to go to war. So this is the, you know, the, the Starks and the Lannisters. It's going to happen now that Cat has started this uh, by taking Tyrion. But of course somebody set him up, which Tyrion points out in his scene earlier, like, why would I do that? That seems really obvious. And they're like, we're going to shut him up. And he's like, why? Because I, Makes sense. Which is <laughs> like, yeah, that's Tyrion's lot in life, basically. Um yep. and so there there's a plot to get them to fight each other, which is obviously not coming from Varus because Varus wants it to string out a little longer, which means I suspect that um that it's uh it's going to be someone else, like Littlefinger, who we will uh we, we get Littlefinger and Varys in, I think, basically oh. the next scene where yeah. our, our two con- conniving, conspiring dudes are sharing information slash boasting about how they've got upper hand yep. slash. trying to trick the other one into saying something and, but without we'll also saying thr- too much
1: themselves, we'll but also floating about how much they know. And yeah. threatening
0: them with sort of blackmail of information of things they know. Um, so that's all. There's just it's. You know, there's not a lot that we learn there, but we learn that they are both playing this game, and they are playing it against each other, and they both have their sources. And and you know, there's that moment where he points out, Littlefinger points out that he knows that Varys talked to Ned, which is like really recent, like the previous scene, and so. Or, or no, and then he talked to, to, to uh, Illyrio, right? That You had your visitor from the West. He's like, ah, how did you know that? That was just the previous scene. We just cut to, from that scene to this scene. How did you know? Um, but that at the very end, when they're called into the small council meeting, then the king is going to be there. Um, Littlefinger seems like he doesn't know what the meeting is about. And Varys totally knows what the meeting is about. So they both get a moment to kind of like hold it over the other one. Also, Uh, In a moment that actually does get paid off a little bit later uh, and is not just Littlefinger being a jerk, although it is that, he asks if somebody has Varus's balls in a little box because to talk about how Varus, because the, the conversation starts with. I run the whorehouses. I can, you know, I've got boys, and that you can, that you might like. And Varys is like, oh well, I know about this noble person who uses your whorehouse for these things, and this noble person who likes to have sex with a recently deceased. That's logistically complicated. And and Littlefinger's like, yeah, well, what you gonna do? Yeah. Um, it's it's we get to know who these guys are. They're not they're not great guys. Littlefinger is pretty terrible. Um, yeah. but they're they're both kind of uh, grappling like that.
1: And this is the second time that Littlefinger has taken, like, a little shot at somebody uh, earlier when Renly was betting on the joust.
0: Oh, yeah, right, right. He he indicates to Renly that he knows very well that Renly and the, uh, the Knight of Flowers are a couple.
1: Yeah, and that one shuts Renly up, but the question about, are your balls in a box, doesn't ruffle Varys at all.
0: No, but we find out later that, like, his becoming a eunuch actually was part of a totally creepy magical ceremony <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is uh super creepy uh so probably not in a little box in a little box in a, another dimension or something magical little box um the uh oh so we get the news um that uh cat has taken Tyrion. that goes Uh-oh. to ned right Yeah, it's weird that it comes to Ned. From Yoren, the guy from the Night's Watch, who's there to just uh, kind of... That feels kind of like they sent him down there, and then they're like, well, we don't need another character here. We'll just have that guy say, oh, by the way, on the way, I learned this thing. I don't know. Well, I think it's important that Ned's
1: the only one who knows that during the small council meeting. Because once Ned gets to the small council meeting uh Robert wants to go kill Daenerys before she has a baby and which would cause Khal Drogo to come over here and Ned says no I will not countenance this and quits his job. Yeah. A- and That's a crazy thing to do anyway, but especially when you know that your family has just declared war on the Lannisters. Yeah. Yeah. Like you you would want to be hand of the king for what's going to come later in the episode Ned.
0: Yeah, it's not, y- not. Ned makes a lot of really bad decisions because he's stubborn, and yes. this is this is one of those. So, in the small council meeting, we get what we already know. They 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 are revealed, which is obviously um, Daenerys is pregnant, and the king once that once her dead, once Viserys dead, wants the baby dead. Um, Jorah Mormont is revealed as being an informant, which will gasp. Bl- Blowback on Jorah in, in later times, um, <laughs> like three seasons away. Yeah, well, there's yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, but it will it will be revealed. Um, he's going to be put in that position where the the assassin is going to come for them in a couple episodes too, uh, where I think he. I think he thwarts the assassination attempt and knows that it's probably because of his information, but he stays quiet about that, I believe, for, yeah, a couple of years until it's revealed and he's sent away. Um, but so anyway, uh, Robert does this whole thing where he's like a Targaryen at the head of a Dothraki army coming across, I cannot risk this, we got to do it. And Ned's like, no, this is ridiculous. You're no better than the Mad King. Um, and he walks out And um, and so... Uh and and then later, um because I want to talk about this now, so I'm gonna mention later Robert and Cersei have the this whole conversation. But one I of love the, that conversation. Uh, uh, yeah, right. So so one of the things in it that I want to talk about now, and we'll get to the rest of the conversation, is in that conversation and in this meeting, what Robert is saying is it's way too dangerous to have a Targaryen heir with that army that one army again the one like we talked about at the beginning the one versus the five the five loose armies the one huge standing dothraki army and he and he says to um to i think circe or, although maybe it's in the small council i mean it's like well we stay inside and they starve us out and everybody starts to think oh maybe the targaryens are better and i'm out of here so my question for you because i was thinking about this during the scene is it's robert wright is he right? Is the right move here to kill these people that they should have probably, that they tried and couldn't kill before? Because, you know, is it a huge risk that he's just going to, he's only been the king for 17 years and there was this whole dynasty before him of Targaryens. Like, is it the right move to kill Daenerys and the baby as soon as possible?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Viserys is explicitly raising an army to come kill Robert and take the kingdom back. Yep. If Robert, if you accept that Robert is allowed to defend his throne, which he's got the throne, I think he is allowed to, then his only move is to act now instead of after the Dothraki are over here.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, And this is one of those cases where, again, Ned, Ned is being hardheaded. Ned is trying to live up to his principles. And Ned is being stupid because this is as we i mean we we now know from seven seasons of game of thrones like those dothraki are coming right yeah. like this well, is this is your most perhaps a, as robert if you think uh that you're going to keep it together and be the king for a while this is the threat to your your dynasty or even if you don't make it the threat to your son as the king All of these threats are based on the restoration of the Targaryen monarchy. You got to put that thing down.
1: I think Robert's problem is that he phrased it wrong with Ned. There's no reason to say we're going to kill Daenerys, a teenager. What you say is we're going to kill Viserys Mm. or we're going to kill Khal Drogo. Either of those, I think Ned would be like, yeah, that seems fine. Right. like. Viserys believes he is at the head of a horse lord army already that he is about to take over here.
0: I am so, amused by the fact that very clearly they all have the right intelligence that Viserys is stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like all of them are like Daenerys and Drogo and the baby. That's really bad. Viserys not involved. Like, yeah, <laughs> they know he's not the problem here, although they want him dead, too. But he's not he's not the problem here yeah it's uh I think it's really interesting because Ned's right. The, the, you are saying I'm going to kill this teenage girl, pregnant teenage girl, but That's right, that sounds bad. The, I mean, it is bad, except, except the king is not wrong that that is the single biggest threat to the entire legitimacy of his yeah. reign. Let's say he looks into the future.
1: Look now, she's got dragons and an army, and oh, she's laying siege to King's Landing just like I said.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's right. He's just he's long gone, and he and his children yeah. are long gone by the time that happens. But, Ghost Robert and Ghost Ned are standing around in season
1: seven, and Robert is just shouting at Ned, saying,
0: "Look, this. you see there? Yeah. You see that? Yeah." Spoilers for season eight, where the ghosts appear, and no, oh, so many ghosts. It's right. It, it's the the funny thing about the way this story goes is that by the time Daenerys comes to the to to westeros and to king's landing the baratheon dynasty is basically empty to the point where circes is just like all right i guess i'm in charge now yeah she is so right so there's nobody left there's none of the kids are left it's just her um so yeah i mean it's Bad. So Ned is like packing to go. He's like, "I'm out of here." I, he he had his, "I quit. You can't fire me. I quit." Kind of moment. And then he's packing up, and he's like, "We're gonna go. We're gonna get out of here as quickly as we can," um, knowing that that news of uh, of Tyrion being taken is going to happen soon. Um, but he's tempted by Littlefinger. Who says I've got I've got information about John Aaron? I've got somebody that I could get you in touch with. Who is this woman who also who has a little baby? Who also is a, a, somebody who um, had a baby by Robert? Because they're all over the place. And the the <laughs> idea here is that John Aaron is investigating all the bastards again. I guess is that idea that he's trying to. I don't know if this is supported in the text. The impression I get is that John Aaron has realized that um that the children of Cersei and Robert are actually Jamie and Cersei's. Yes. And so he's going to invalidate Cersei and her children, which means he's going to need another heir, which is why he's kind of collecting bastards so that he I can don't... take Renly or somebody like that potentially and say here's here's a a legitimate, you know, here's a child of of Robert Baratheon.
1: I don't think he wants the bastards. The, the only reason he's looking for them is that all of these people that I know are Robert's legitimate children are dark haired. Uh, maybe it's, and maybe the it's, seed is strong. And the seed is strong, and right? It, and it's all just uh, dominant versus recessive right. genes, right?
0: So, so John Aaron basically through some means, and again, I don't know if this is in the text of the show or if it's in the text of the books or what, because it's kind of hazy. Um, he, he's, he's been tipped, he's figured out, he's gotten a shred of evidence, something about how basically, Psst, those aren't Robert's kids. Right, because they're blonde. And is the fundamental, like, that's the one thing that Cersei is not going to allow. Yep. Yeah. Um, we do get Renly. And his knight of flowers, Loris, and they're seen together, which I enjoy a lot. They have a whole oh. conversation while he's shaving his chest. <laughs> which is important in case you were wondering how come
1: his torso is so much, has so much less hair on it than Robert's torso, which we saw earlier.
0: Yes, it's very important. I was wondering that myself. What, what about the torso <laughs> hair? This is, until the very end, not quite sex position. But it's close as we learn about how the Lannisters have money and Loras Tyrell says you should be the king. Um, and 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 there is a funny line about Stannis who we have not met and will not meet for a little while yet saying he has the personality of a lobster. Accurate, by the way. Accurate. Yeah. Um, and I think I like Loras Tyrell's politics here. Because what Loras is saying is, your, because this episode is about like kings and who they are and why they rule. And you mentioned, it's like Robert's hit the Peter principle of being a King, which is that he's good enough to get the job, but not enough to have the job. And what Loris is saying here is, Renly would be a good king. Renly's the brother who would be a good king. He's not the brother who won and got to be king, but he would be a good king. And as as uh, as Laura says at one point, "Where is it written that power is the sole province of the worst?" And I really like I really like it because he's basically saying, "Hey, everybody, what if we had somebody good who ruled Westeros? (laughs) Maybe you, brother of the the king." On the other
1: hand, you can also look at this scene as Laura saying, You should
0: be king. Why don't
1: you be king?
0: Hey, hey, you be king. Yeah, you look now with your freshly shaved chest are perfect to be king. He's kind
1: of trying to Lady Macbeth it up here.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I I, I think the show throughout sort of portrays Renly. I mean, like, Renly, I think the way at least I choose to view Renly is that he would be a good King. And in fact, he would be a good King is so it's such a scary thought that Stannis has to use evil shadow magic to, (laughs) to dispatch Renly because Renly is way more likable than Stannis.
1: He's likable, but I don't think we have any evidence that he'd be a good king. Uh, uh, the, All we know about him is that he throws festivals in his camp yes. and, during and that, wartime. And that, like, his,
0: that his his uh, his boyfriend thinks he's awesome, which yeah. I, I is, think, is probably not the most believable thing, you know. I think Renly is essentially
1: frivolous, and mm. it's a shame he's not as good a fighter as Loras is. right
0: i don't um, know i i i'm open on renlin maybe being a good king i i'm like right. i think i i i think maybe loris is coming from a position of basically saying i know you and your brothers and you're the best of them so why aren't you the king yeah um but but anyway i do like i think it's a very nice scene where he says why is it that the awful people are in charge <laughs> which is like good and- question good question <laughs> and then the scene ends with
1: some hilarious sound effects. So amazing sound effects. <laughs> I, I Good for you show. I, yep,
0: yep, yep, yep. Um Yes, indeed. That and thus begins the the sex position of uh of that scene.
1: just standing there.
0: Uh Robert and Cersei do have their, their conversation. Um the, you know, I've talked about the the one army versus five. He says some really interesting things like, and and this gets to the whole idea again of them doing this for 17 years after sort of the story ended, what happens in the happily ever after. He says, our purpose died with the Mad King. Don't you get tired, he says to her, of holding it all together. Like it was, you know, we he literally is saying, I did this to get rid of the Mad King, but now here we are. And we have no purpose we've had no purpose essentially for 17 years we've had no purpose here and um and i like their relationship here because these are two people who have known each other a long time who are very important in each other's lives who don't like each other who don't don't have any love between them although cersei says suggests that she was willing to give it a go i'm not sure i if i believe that oh no absolutely not um, he's not a lannister well, that's that's the thing is uh, inside the mind of Cersei Lannister. Like, I think she believes that she was willing to give it a shot for them to have a positive relationship, which is not the same as loving him because she loves <laughs> Jaime. Right. But like, she's willing to give it a shot of them not being adversarial. But he was um, still like moaning over the empty hole in his heart left by Lyanna Stark.
1: Well, well I don't think they're adversarial at this point. Like, this is a very open and honest conversation especially for
0: cersei that's what that's what I, i think i mean to say is that they're open with each other i don't think they're on each other's side necessarily um but they they've been doing this a long time it's it's like it's like a divorced couple who still sees each other every now and then yeah and has a conversation like there's nothing between them in fact she said she says um she asked him if there was ever a time where he, there was a chance that he would make an attempt in their marriage, like an attempt to be married to her and have it be anything. And he says, no, how does that make you feel? And she says, it doesn't make me feel anything. So like, they're just, it is a, just a dead, there are, there's no emotional involvement in this relationship at all. It is, it yeah. is the end product of all of these arranged marriages in most cases, which is, there's kind of nothing there. Um, yeah. And, uh,
1: they also. This is also where Cersei mentions that they lost their first boy. Yeah. Which I don't think gets followed up on in the show, but it was in the book.
0: And right. And what's the? So this is the. Uh, in in the book,
1: I'm pretty sure Cersei says to somebody that she gave herself a miscarriage so she would not have a child of Robert's, have Robert's
0: baby and that's cold blooded yeah. yeah yeah I I think it's all laying out there of like when she lost that baby did she lose it naturally did she lose it on purpose was that their child that's the reading that I give to it too is that she did it purposefully and it was their child and that means that the that the heir would have been born and would have been Robert's and that she wasn't willing to have that happen. Um also she got, you know, some really bad uh fortune teller advice at some point as a child.
1: Yeah. There's that.
0: Yeah. Um all your children will die before you. <laughs> oh. That's true. Um last scene in this episode. So Ned leaves the whorehouse uh, he talks to the the lady who's just like I just want my daughter to be safe, but it's like another one of Robert's bastards. Um, and and so in this final scene, we begin in earnest the slide toward all out war on many fronts, which is yep. it Jamie, is on now. Jamie Lannister rides in on his white horse. Um, <laughs> says, "Hey, your wife took uh, took my brother," and Ned does the stand up thing and says, "It was on my order." Ah, uh, so honorable, so dumb. Oh, so dumb. And uh, he could but, at least have said, "She did what? I'll look into this." Yeah, but it, and and it's a uh, it's a move that I think what's interesting about it is it's not an attempt to like take somebody hostage. They're like they're they're not. Jamie's upping it, right? He's not. He's not just uh, kind of countering here. Like this is this is. You took our brother. We don't want him back. We want him back, but like it doesn't matter now. Like yeah. this is, of course, you know, this means war. That like, kind of thing. I guess. I guess we have to take you
1: alive because you're right. If we kill you, Tyrion will be killed right away. And yeah, so we're gonna. That's ki- bad
0: somehow. Take him alive. Kill his men. Although there is. So sorry to Jory. Jory oh, was no, a nice knife character. The eye. He got the knife in the eye. It's too bad. What I um, like about the end of this scene is that it's a it's a battle between Ned and Jamie. And, you know, Jamie's the great swordsman and how good is Ned? We don't know. But they yep. they fight for a little while, although I have at several moments in looking at Nikolai Koster-Waldau's face, I think he's suggesting in his portrayal that Jamie is toying with him. Uh, now, on my rankings, I've got them even, just
1: like uh, the Hound and the uh, Mountain are even. They, they fought for a bit, and nobody clearly won, so in, in absence right. of further information, I'm saying Jamie and Ned are even, which means Ned in his prime, incredible.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to buy that, but I, I will let you have your rating, and uh, it's, it's not important, because what happens is, <laughs> one of the Lannister dudes just impales his spear <laughs> into Ned's leg, <laughs> And what I like about it is that Jamie is really pissed off about it because he was having an awesome duel, which he never gets to have. Yeah. And he goes and and basically, I think he takes the hilt of his sword and smacks the guy in the head and knocks him out. Yep. Rather than like killing him. But he's furious because... Um, they were fighting, and he he wrecked it. Um, yeah, and they uh, leave Ned there, which it, he- they were going to take he- him alive, and, I, and he actually like decides to just leave him there wounded with an ultimatum and ride off um, because they've they've killed all the guys and they've wounded him. And I think there's somewhere in there Jamie is calculating, like, all right, that's enough. We're going to get out of here now.
1: Well, Jamie does not want people saying that he needed help to take down Ned Stark. Absolutely not. Like, if the story is... Jamie rode in on his white horse and defeated Ned. That's one thing. But this, uh, you ruin everything. Let's go.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Which I like. I like that about Jamie. Jamie is one of my favorite. Jamie may be my favorite character on the show, only because he's so complex in that there are things that he does that I think he's like... He's on the wrong side and he does lots of terrible things but he usually has a good reason and he has a, a sort of conscience that but it's a very delayed conscience and he has a code but it's a messed up code and i just (laughs) i think he's really interesting in that he's a mix of all these things and he knows the difference between right and wrong but sometimes he feels that he needs to do wrong um i I just yeah i think he's a really in a way that Cersei is super smart and super awful and and, but and will do things that she thinks are the right move even though she knows they're awful because she just doesn't care and jamie is more complicated than that and i think yeah. that's really interesting and that's why they have their uh they they aren't always uh getting along jamie and Cersei. well
1: going back to like the defining moment of jamie for a lot of people the time he pushed brand out a window he looked reluctant his line was uh the things i do for love yeah. shove and then later cersei is mad at him for it not because it was morally wrong but because it caused them inconvenience
0: yeah which i mean right yeah exactly right whereas whereas we see and the the show and the books take a lot of effort make a lot of effort and we see him with brienne and then toward the end we see him judging cersei in the in the seventh season right and and again a lot of water under the bridge by then for him to get to the point of like yeah i don't think cersei hmm, i don't think i can do it like okay jamie you could have done this a long time ago but you didn't and now now is your chance um but still yeah they're they're very different people and i think it's fascinating so i I, i'm fascinated by jamie and in this case i'm fascinated by his his fury at uh being deprived his uh his cool fight with ned and so then he just and without even giving any orders to his guys he's just like okay i'm out of here he walks over to his horse gets on is like bring my brother back i'm you know lannister out and then he rides off and the, and the guards are like i guess we go too and they get on and they go so he's just yep. mad and out of there it's fascinating and well, now it's open warfare between the lannisters and the stars oh, yeah. well here we go well uh, this i thought this was a a good episode very king's landing centric but i feel like like you said it's sort of the beginning of the story at this point
1: yeah like the, the repercussions of Cat taking Tyrion and Jamie attacking Ned. And what happens because of that Huge. and what happens because of that and what happens because of that
0: that's the whole rest of the series. Yeah, exactly right. So this is the moment where it's really starting to slide into the chaos of all the many wars and all of that. Well, okay, we will be back next week with episode 6 of Game of Thrones season 1. Um uh, maybe Brian will be back. I don't know. He he's moving and uh and uh battling a rat possibly or avoiding a rat i don't know but that's uh it's good the best time that's a good level one quest yes the best time to uh find a rat in your house is when you're leaving yeah (laughs) right Right. get me out of here uh anyway so we we (laughs) brian's packing and couldn't be here this time but hopefully he'll be back next week and maybe we'll have some guests too who knows um but monty it's been a pleasure as always talking about game of thrones with you great being here jason okay bye everybody we'll see you next week